Turn with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. Thank you all for cooperating and <laughs> abiding by the guidelines. I truly appreciate the fact that we were able to this week <laughs> and that we had the ability. A lot of work was done this week. A lot of uh, funding was made so that we could get everything in place. And uh, Flavia Desvaldo came in with their crazy heavy-duty machines and sprayed everything down. And, and uh, we had carpet cleaning in here. And uh, other people were in doing all kinds of things. Uh, Jeremy and I think Mike, a team put on a, a ramp out here outside the, uh, the auditorium door so that people can exit that way. So a lot was done to make this uh, happen so that we could have church today. And I thank you so much for everybody that did what they did. And those of you who are willing to venture out, I know it's a nervous time. I could tell people are a little tentative and a little wary uh, coming out today. But thank you for your courage and thank you for will your willingness to be here. And thank you for those of us who are joining us on Facebook. I was back at the sound booth uh, with Zach and uh, seeing we have quite a few uh, people watching us online. Welcome. It's, uh, it's exciting to be here. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be continuing in our service. We're talk uh, in our sermon, we're talking about the idea of feeding your mind during these times, this time of pandemic. It's a very difficult time of mental stress and strain, even on Christians. And those difficult issues in our lives that we have to deal with mentally uh, are a challenge for anybody, but they're a challenge for Christians as well. And it's important that we understand, first of all, that we do struggle. Just because you're a follower of Christ doesn't mean you're not going to struggle mentally. Doesn't mean you're not going to have to deal with these things. Just because you accept Christ as your Savior doesn't mean that all of this goes away. We talked about anxiety the first week, right? And <laughs> If I were to take a poll of everybody here this morning or everybody watching online, I think everybody would have to raise their hand and say, yeah, there's been some real anxious moments over the last eight weeks or eight years or however long it's been that we've been in this. It seems like it's been forever now. Uh, so we know we need to learn that we need to first admit that as followers of Christ, we're going to struggle. We're going to have to face these difficulties in our in, mentally, and we're going to have to deal with them. And then the, the most important thing as a believer, after you understand and accept the fact that you're going to struggle mentally, is that we learn what the Bible has to say about our mental uh, challenges, the, the challenges in our mind, and then we address them. We looked at a lot of verses about anxiety, and we've worked our way through these things, and we've come to the, the, um, the mental struggle of anger. And we've, this is the third week we're going to be talking about anger. We're going to wrap it up this week. Uh, dealing with anger as a Christian, especially during this time. This week, I mean, this week we saw how many, how many shootings in parking lots and at, at a Waffle House. How many of you have ever been to a Waffle House? Waffle House is a great place. It looks like, it looks like nothing until you walk in and you order, and Lord above, you've met a little bit of heaven with the food. It's good old Southern cooking that's, you know, fried in grease and cooked on a greasy griddle, and uh, it, it's made me the man I am today, right? Uh, but, uh, but a guy didn't want to put his mask on, so he shot the cook. 
I mean, it, the things that just don't make sense, and it's the anger that's bubbling over. And as believers, we've got to be able to learn how to deal with this in a biblical, scriptural way, or it's going to get a hold of us. And it's going to, and these feelings, these emotions, and this anger is going to take us down roads that we don't want to go down. So let's read Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Now we're looking at in this series called Feed Your Mind, we're addressing some of the most difficult mental struggles for human beings, struggles that affect the overall well-being and even the physical health of people and Christians. We don't get out of it. I want to say something and make it very clear before we get into this, because during this time, people are feeling alone. A lot of the conversations I have and the counseling I have with people and, and people outside of our church, people all, all over the place talking to me, and there's a, a feeling of loneliness. There's a feeling of being separated, of being isolated. There's a, there's a real, true, honest feeling with a lot of people, a feeling as if there's no value to them because life is going on and they're not a part of it and they don't realize. So, sometimes, I mean, you, you, see if you agree with me on this. Sometimes you become so isolated that you think other people are having a wonderful time in life, but they're not. They're all isolated as well. We, Connecticut opened up uh, their, their retail stores. I was talking to Jimmy and Jess when they came in. I can say names now because it's okay to be here, right? <laughs> I was talking to Jimmy and Jess, and um, I said, yeah, we went into the free country uh, this week. We went down to Connecticut. I saw you went to a restaurant. What was that all about? Um, and I took the boys down to uh, uh, the mall in, in Manchester to buy new shoes, because my sons during this time are growing like crazy. They're in the back there. If you want to check out their new kicks, they'll, I'm sure they'll be happy to show you their new Nikes. Um, but even in the store, I was, try, I was trying to, you know, make light of things and kind of, but people were so, uh, so stressed and so nervous to talk. It's like, am I allowed to say anything? Am I, allowed to, am I allowed to try on the shoes after they've, am I allowed to touch that box? I mean, it was, it's, it's such a different time. And we can tend to feel like we're isolated and we're the only ones in those situations, but we're really not. Everybody else is in the same boat. And I think it's important that we understand some things as followers of Christ. And even if you're not a follower of Christ, if you're just tuning in and you're just watching because... You, you don't want to watch the news this morning. You're just watching our broadcast. Let me say some things to you. Make it very, very clear that no matter what your situation, no matter how you're feeling right now as a human being, you are valuable to God and God cares about your mental health. You may not think anybody else does. You may feel ashamed of how you're feeling and how you're struggling mentally. You may not want to share that with anybody. But let me just tell you something. God cares. God cares about you, and he cares about your mental health. In John 14, 
He says he gives us peace. And in Philippians, he says that that peace gives us peace that will guard our minds. In 1 Peter 5, he says he wants you to go to him with your anxiety because he cares for you. How much clearer can it be? Jesus said, or Peter writes that you can cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. In 2 Timothy 1, he tells us that he offers us the power to have a sound mind. In Isaiah 41, he tells us he will walk through every fear or concern with us. In Matthew 11, <laughs> excuse me, he tells us that when we are mentally worn down by life and its burdens, he will be our comfort and our rest. And in Psalm 23, he tells us that when it comes to mental fatigue and stress, he is all that we need. Read the 23rd Psalm. The 23rd Psalm is all about your mental health. The 23rd Psalm is all about being worn down by life and being ripped apart and disappointed by life and overburdened by life and how God in his loving kindness and his grace and his mercy towards you wants to pull you aside and give you peace and bring you to a place where you can rest and you can recover and you can rejuvenate and you can restore, he can restore you. God cares about you. You're valuable to him. He cares about your mental health. God loves you more than you can ever imagine or ever know. He doesn't care about your past. He loves you in your present, and he has a future plan for you. He doesn't care how you got to the mental place you're in. He doesn't care how many different people uh, made you to get you to the life circumstances that you call home. He doesn't care how many different people you've allowed to take up residence in your mind to tell you how worthless you are. He doesn't even care right now if you're afraid to try. Let me, just, let me be real clear, because I've tried to make this clear in a couple different messages this week on Facebook. I know there are people that are watching us that are new lifers that, that did not feel comfortable to come to church today. I understand. I'm not judging you. I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're out of the will of God. I think that's a decision that you need to make between you and God. God knows that. He knows where you're at. He's not going to judge you. He's not going to, to send lightning down on your house. God knows where you're at. You just need to admit where you're at to God and let him work in your heart. God loves you. He will never give up on you. And all he's asking is that you trust him and give him one more chance. He tells you that you are uniquely created by him to fulfill and accomplish a purpose that he has prepared for you. He loves you. He wants good for you. He wants to bless you. And he wants to see your life succeed. Your life is not found in the value that you, of the things you can do for others or what you can accomplish. Your worth is not found in your past failures or the opinion of others. Your value and your worth are found in the fact that you are created in the image of God and the fact that he loves you enough to send his son to Jesus to die for you. As Ravi Zacharias, great uh, soldier of the faith passed away this week. As Ravi Zacharias says, your value is not found in who you are, but in whose you are. But none of that matters if we aren't willing to surrender our lives, our will, and our purpose to God. If we aren't willing to surrender our lives, we're not willing to surrender our mind and trust God that he has a plan to see us through these difficult times. None of it matters. 
if we value our lives and our ways so much that we're unwilling to even entertain God's plan, if we think that we honestly know better than the Creator what it is that we should do, what we should pursue with the one life that He has given to us, then all that, get, all that God can and wants to do for you means nothing. Let me say that again. If we are not willing to give our lives to him and to pursue God's purpose with the one life that he's given to us, that everything that he says he's willing to do for you means nothing because you're not going to activate it in your life. And that's what this whole series is about. Taking advantage of the promises that God has given to you, the verses, the principles that he's laid out for us in his word so that we can take advantage of them and live a life that is more powerful for him. Unless you're willing to intentionally offer your life as a living sacrifice, as Paul tells us, that all we're talking about in this series means nothing. All the resources in the world mean nothing if you are unwilling to use them. We've been talking about the emotion of anger. We've been talking about the mental toll that can take on us. Anger must be dealt with effectively, but first, anger must be identified. We hear much about righteous anger. We've talked about this for a couple weeks. We're not going to go through it all again. We've talked about righteous anger, and we've talked about Jesus and the example of him in the temple. It's always stated. People lose their cool. People go off on other people, and they always go, well, Jesus had righteous anger. Man, it's a big difference from what we usually, how we usually express our anger. <laughs> I'll give you the definition of righteous anger again. Righteous anger will always be motivated by an offense against God's way, God's word, or God's people. It will always, and it will motivate us towards godly attitudes and actions to try to address the situation. Righteous anger does not come from our opinions, our viewpoints, lies, or division among believers. So if you get angry at somebody in church over something that uh, they said to you or did to you or, or the fact that you weren't able to be part of this or you weren't able to do that or, or hear that we've got the chairs. I know this is really weird, isn't it? You look out and it's, it's, like, it's like a dinner club. Everybody, right? Everybody's separated here. Can't see it on Facebook, but it's, we got little pods here. We need to put up little plastic booze around everybody. Um, if, if you didn't get the proper seat and somebody else was sitting where you, were, you thought you were going to be sitting when you came in here, it's not a good reason to, to display righteous anger, okay? Honestly, many more times than not, the anger that we feel and we express as followers of Christ is human anger. It's us allowing ourselves to get taken away by the moment. <laughs> Last week, or the week before, we identified uh, anger. We, I gave you some, four principles I want to review real quickly. Sinful anger comes from us. Your anger is never the right response. Learn, we need to learn how to discern good anger from bad anger, and we need to avoid anger when we can. And then we got into how we express anger as a follower of Jesus. What is the right way? We got halfway through this last week, and we're going to finish this up. But let me remind you what we talked about last week. <clears throat> Warren Wearsby said, we may not be able to prevent other people from being our enemies, but we can prevent ourselves from being enemies towards others. In other words, the way you treat other people, the way you allow anger to, uh, to be dealt with in your life, the way you allow yourself to deal with anger is up to you. You're the one that controls how you respond and react in situations. You're the one that controls how you deal with your anger and whether or not you go to God with that anger or whether you, whether you keep it. And let me say this as well, because 
as I was preparing this message and, and praying about it, I was reading these points, and I'm like, and you know, God, what, what, it's, what it's saying here is that when we lose our cool, before we lose our cool, when we're in a situation in the heat of the moment, we need to stop and think. But that's a big deal to try to get people to do, right? We need to stop and think and consider the moment. But that's what we have to train ourselves to do. That's what we have to pray about doing. That in the heat of a moment, understand that what God wants you to do is stop and not get to that point where you're boiling over. I love to make iced tea at home and <laughs> brew my own tea. And uh, not like it's a big deal, but Southern way, right? Um, and I, I annoy Aaron to no end because when I make tea, I, I, li I put the burner on high because I have no patience. I want it to get done quickly. And I let it boil and it gets to a place where it boils over. And the reason it boils over, and when it boils over, you know what happens, it gets all over the stove, and Erin is a, a little bit of a clean freak. She's like, Why, why'd you let it boil over? Like, well, I forgot about it. I didn't think. And I can't be the only one, but I'll take the heat for being the only one. Anybody ever started brewing a pot of tea on the stove and gone away and forgot all about it. I came home one day and the house was filled with smoke because, because all the water boiled out and the tea bags were sitting in this, this, uh, this pot on the stove and it, it wasn't my brightest moment. But, but Aaron, uh, she says, well, why don't you just watch it? And it's an easy solution, but I don't do it. And that's how I feel with our anger. When we get to those moments, the easy solution, right, is to step away from it, to step back and analyze what's going on and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God has given me some, some, some tools to use in this moment. And that's what we're talking about. And that's what this is all about learning how to recognize the fact that there are some situations in life and, and don't, don't kid anybody and don't try to be super spiritual because now that's all out the window over the last way, eight weeks, right? We've all been facing things we've never had to face in our lives. We all have, have issues at some point. Something pushes your buttons. And we all need to be able to stop and say, wait a minute, I need to identify these, po these points and moments in my life where I see it happening and I see the bubbles starting to bubble up in the teapot or in the, the whatever I'm cooking the tea in and I need to take it off the burner and move away and let it cool down. We need to do that. So we started, about we started talking about this, expressing anger as a follower of Jesus. The, third thing, the first thing we said was this, we've got to let God handle his business. You have no business getting involved in God's battle. If he calls you, if he gives you an assignment to go in and fight the fight, then fine. But God says, I will repay. Vengeance is mine. It's not your right, and it's not your job to get even with people. If I feel they deserve to be punished or they deserve to be judged or they deserve to have chastening or, uh, or, or be rebuked by me, then I will take care of it. But that's not your job. 
And too many times as believers, we allow our anger to get the best of us. And, you know, you may not go off on somebody, but do you really have to say those, those, little, those little phrases or those digs? Do you really have to make those comments? Do you really have to keep going to make your point? Sometimes we're makers of a point rather than seekers of, a tru of truth, right? And we have got to make up. We may not blow up in anger, but in the anger that we've suppressed, we've got to say what we were going to say, and nobody's going to stop us from saying our peace. I'll ask you if that's what God would want you to do, because he says, let me handle my business. The second thing we said was, you've got to think your way through the issue. And that involves stopping, taking a step back, and saying, what, what is going on here? What is happening within me? What am I dealing with? Uh, is this worth my time to talk about? And can I, and here's a big question, man. Can I continue this discussion or continue in this situation and keep my cool? Can I continue in this discussion, in this situation and keep my cool? And we've got to be able to, and a lot of times we, we, uh, we won't keep our cool because we don't want to look weak or small. We think that if we back down, then we're showing weakness, but what we're really showing is the way of Jesus Christ. And then and the third thing we said was we need to learn to get angry at the right things. If you want to be righteously angry in God's eyes, then you need to get angry at the right things. We need to get angry at actual sin. I was very transparent last week talking about some of the things during all of this that as a pastor that have really uh, caused me to, to feel some anger. We need to get angry at actual sin. After all, sin is what sends people to hell and sin is what people, what people need to be saved from and sin comes from Satan. So we as followers of Christ need to get angry at what God is angry at. Secondly, we need to get angry about godly concerns not personal offenses. Get angry at godly concerns, the things that God gets angry at, not personal offenses. And thirdly, we said we need to choose and use our anger wisely. Choose and use our anger wisely. That brings us to the fourth point that we'll pick up today. Once you've done all these things, once you've thought your way through the issue, and it's a right thing to get angry at, it's an issue that you believe and you've prayed about and God says, okay, let's do something about it. Express your anger in a Jesus-like way. Express your anger in a Jesus-like way. Jesus-like anger is an expression of passion and commitment. It's an expression of passion and commitment. Billy Graham said this, hotheads and cold hearts never solved anything. Hot heads and cold hearts never solved anything. Jesus-like anger is an expression of passion and commitment to the cause of Jesus Christ. I mentioned last week um, human trafficking, slavery. Slavery going on in the United States right now. Human trafficking. Hundreds of thousands. Children being... <sighs> See, I, I get angry about it. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I have, I have eight-year-old twin sons. I have, I have a grandson that's two years old, a little over two years old. I've got a granddaughter that's not a year old yet. Did you know that some 
I even struggle, Brian, I, I struggle calling them human beings, man. There are some individuals in this world today that will take children of those ages and do unspeakable things with them and sell them for money. What are we... I, I, listen, if you want to go, if you want, if you want me to pick at the White House, I'll pick at the White House. But you want me to pick at the governor's mansion, I'll pick at the governor's mansion for that. That's the kind of thing we should be. That's the kind of thing. I'll be on. I'll be transparent again. That's the kind of thing I want to take up an AR-15 about, and go in and storm storm somebody's home, and free those kids. Free those young women and young men who are being held in slavery. But here in our country, we don't want to hear about those things. In our churches, we don't want to talk about those things. Come on, man. That's a righteous anger. These little children, Jesus said, you harm a child, it's better that a millstone is tied around your neck and you dropped into the ocean than letting me deal with you on the matter. See, those are the kind of things that we need to identify, and those are the kind of things that we need to get our anger up about and do something about. There are biblical ways, biblical principles that apply to all of our actions, even our anger. First of all, Proverbs 14, 29, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. The patient person, the person that sits back and, and examines and analyzes and, and, and thinks about why they're getting angry, man, that, that person has great understanding. The person that just pops off and lets their anger get the best of them, man, that's folly. That's just folly. Proverbs and Romans uh, 12, 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Man, if that's, if, that's one, if that's the only principle you get out of all this sermon, these three weeks of sermons, man, that's the one. Do not be overcome with evil. Overcome evil with good. Take your anger and give it to God and ask him to deal with your heart and deal with your mind and deal with your body and restrain you from doing what you need to do, what you, I'm sorry, what you want to do and cause you and lead you in the way that you need to go so that you will handle these matters according to the word of God. Don't be overcome with evil and don't fall into the trap that says, well, I can ask forgiveness later. Man, that's a weak person's excuse. I'd rather ask for, for, for permission than forgiveness, or forgiveness than permission, and that's weak. That's weak. Secondly, <clears throat> Bible says if you want to express your anger in a Jesus-like way, this one might surprise you. Don't make close friends with people who lose their temper easily. You want to express your anger in a Jesus-like way? Don't become close friends. I'm not saying don't have friends, but don't let those who influence your life and those who, who, who you know, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. Don't let those uh, who, are, who lose their temper easily be the ones that sharpen your sword because that sword may get you into trouble rather than help you in battle. Don't make friends of those who lose their temper easily. Proverbs 22, 24 says, Do not make friends with, hot with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. <laughs> In short, 
Do everything you can to avoid losing control because of the anger you feel. How do you express your anger in a Jesus-like way? Well, <laughs> avoid, the avoid those situations and those conversations and those discussions that cause you to be angry. There's a, there's a uh, Facebook group here in East Longmeadow. On the, it's the East Longmeadow Forum is monitored so people can't say things. Then there's another one. It's the East Longmeadow Forum for people who are, it's called this, East Longmeadow Forum for people who are not wicked sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of it, man. And it's so funny because, and, and if you're sensitive, don't go on it because people, I mean, that's where people just unload, right? You know, if you don't want to lose your temper, don't read. The, if you're a person that gets riled up over issues like that, don't read stuff like that. Avoid those situations. If you know that, that a certain commentator on TV is going to, on their show, they're going to push your buttons and get you riled up, and you've got to call somebody and vent. You know what? Watch Gunsmoke. Seriously. Watch, the, the one thing, with, I can't believe this, man. With all the technology, with all the streaming, and with all the, the different... Um, different companies that have streaming. You know one show that you can't stream right now? Leave it to Beaver. What in the world? I mean, I think Jesus was the director of that. That's a, such a great show, Leave it to Beaver. I want my sons to watch Leave it to Beaver, not to learn things about them. Thank you very much. Product placement, Dunkin' Donuts. Not so, uh, that was my wife. For those of you watching, that was my wife. Bring me uh, iced tea. Watch something that's not going to get you riled up. Get involved. Get your attention involved in something else. Avoid the situation as best you can. What do we do next? Once you've identified the, the issue and you believe that it's something to put your anger into to work. And by the way, putting your anger to work is not losing control. Remember we said it's allowing that anger to motivate you to do something about an issue. What you need to do now is be considered and measured in your angry response. Be considered and measured in your angry response. It's that old saying, you catch more, uh, catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Listen, if you can sit down and you can identify your anger, you can think about it and you can harness that anger in a Jesus-like way and then put that anger into, into something productive and, do some, and be driven by that godly anger in a situation, man, you'll be able to accomplish much. But you need to be considered and measured in your angry response. <clears throat> Ambrose Bierce said, speak when you are angry and you will make the best speech that you will ever regret. Seriously. Speak when you are angry, and you will make the best speech that you will ever regret. Take the time to think before you speak. Take the time to think before you speak. I cannot be, if, if I'm going to talk about my childhood and growing up in this church, I have to be honest because I have family members that go here and they can call me on it, right? When I was a kid and even a teenager, 
I had what, I had a, a medical issue that doctors called a smart mouth. I was a wise guy, right? And I really was. And I was, I was quick with the quip. And I had some kid ask me in school one day, he says, do you ever think before you speak? It, was, it, it would have been better if he'd have punched me in the mouth. Because that was, that was a challenge to my personhood. That was like, dude, you, are, you just don't think about what you're saying. And from that, I, I, was a teen, I was a young teenager. And man, that impacted me. A, a peer of mine said that to me. And that impacted me. And it made me start thinking before I spoke. And as Christians, if we're going to be measured and considered in our angry response, we need to think before we speak. James 1, 19 and 20 says, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Remember when we used that in the first week? Our anger does not accomplish God's righteous purpose. Therefore, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Can I tell you, those principles apply in your home as well. Probably more so now than ever, because we're home with each other so much. On my prayer drive last night, I thought, well, I'll stop and pick something up. I was going to pick up a couple cans of Lysol to see if anybody had them. Well, I went out about 9.30 and nothing was open. <laughs> There's still, even in Connecticut, nothing was open. Like Walmart shut down at like 7 o'clock, even though they're allowed to be open. It's like, wow, wow, okay. Um, Proverbs 19.11 says, a fool gives full vent to his anger but a wise person holds it in check. A fool gives full vent to his anger. He gets it off his chest. He lets off steam. Oh, he feels so much better. But the, the object of his anger doesn't feel very good at all. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. The one who loses control is in danger of losing more than just their temper. Let me say that again. The one who loses control is in danger of losing more than just their temper. And lastly, you want to deal with anger in a Jesus-like way? You ready? Not going to like it. I'm just telling you, Lewis, people aren't going to like it. Just being honest, brother. Okay? You want to deal with anger in a Jesus-like way? Let it go. Let it go. Don't, oh, we're, not, we're not done yet. Okay, that's just the first phrase. Let it go. Don't hold a grudge and forgive them. Oof. Oh, uh, if that's all we need to do, let's just close up the Bible. Let's go home. I can do that. That's no problem, right? Man, let it go. Don't hold a grudge 
and forgive them. There are people in my life that people come back to me and say, John, how can you be that way towards them after what they've done? I'm sure we all, I'm not special. I'm not the only person that's ever been betrayed or had somebody do things to me. We've all had that. <laughs> I'm just speaking from my own experience. And people say to me, how can you be that way with that person after all they've done to you? How can you be that way? You got to be honest. I say, listen, in my years on this earth, I've learned one thing. I can't control others, but I can control my attitude. And I know what it was like when I was younger, when I held grudges. I know what it was like when I was younger, when I, I, I let that anger steam inside of me and burn inside of me. And I learned that if I'm going to have peace with myself and be able to enjoy life and really be a good husband and a good father and minister to people, then I've got to let things go. And I do my dead level best. I don't know, you know, you, you may not think so if you don't know me very well. I don't know. I don't know how, you, how people see me. But I'll tell you this. I do my dead level best to let things go. I really do. I just let it go. Except that Houston Astros World Series thing. That's just something... My goodness, I just, I, that's tough. That's a tough one to let go. I'm just being, just being transparent, okay? But folks, we gotta let it go. We gotta let it go. You can't hold a grudge. If you're gonna do the work for God, you can't hold a grudge. Jonathan Lock, Lockwood Huey said, forgive others not because they deserve forgiveness, but because you deserve peace. Forgive others, not because they deserve forgiveness, but because you deserve peace. An anonymous quote says, sometimes people haven't apologized because they're ashamed. Forgive them anyway. Sometimes you have to be okay with the sorry you never got. Let me say that again. Sometimes people haven't apologized because they're ashamed. Forgive them anyway. Sometimes you have to be okay with the sorry you never got. Some of you, some of you watching, let me say that, let me just be brutally honest about this. Some of you are holding grudges against parents that will never be able to forgive you even if they wanted to because they're no longer here on this earth. You have got to learn to let these things go so you can have peace in your life. The Bible clearly lays the responsibility for not losing your temper and creating issues on you. There are no biblical excuses or exceptions. Philippians 37, 8 says, refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. Ephesians 4, verses 26 and, 26 and verse 31 says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Let all all, all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And that's how God tells us to deal with our anger. Let it go. Let it go. All of it. All of it. Just let it go. But, but, but you don't know what they did. You don't know how much it hurt me. I know. I get it. I understand. Most of us have been there sometime in our life. But if you hang on to it, you're the only one that's going to be punished for it. You're the one locking yourself up in prison. Let it go, man. Let it go. Get rid of it. Allow, allow Jesus to carry. He says, those of you who are weary and heavy laden, 
if you're weary and heavy laden, bring your burden to me. That means bring all of this to me and I will give you rest. <clears throat> Lewis Smead said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. The, the solution to avoiding the buildup of anger, malice, and bitterness in our lives is to forgive those who have hurt you and those who have made you angry. That's the secret. See, sometimes we express anger not because of the issue we're facing, but because of what's bottled up inside. And our expressions and our reactions to everything becomes anger just because we're angry people. We've got to make sure that we let these things go. I'm going to end by reading you a story. It's a true account. How many of you ever heard of Corey Ten Boom? Corey Ten Boom, an amazing woman. She was, uh, she was uh, held in, in a prison camp, Nazi prison camp, because uh, her family uh, harbored Jews. And um, it was a horrible situation. And her best friend was in there with her. And died in the prison camp. Well, she survived and became a, uh, became a speaker and a, an author, and she wrote several books. It says, healing was linked to forgiveness, she wrote. She said, each of us had something to forgive, whether it was a neighbor who had turned them into the Nazi authorities or a vicious camp guard, or a brutal soldier. In mid-May 1945, the, the Allies marched into Holland to the unspeakable joy of the Dutch people. Despite the distractions of her work, Corey was still restless, and she desperately needed her beloved Betsy, who was her best friend. But she, now she remembered Betsy's words that they must tell others what they had learned. Thus began more than three decades of travel around the world as a tramp for the Lord, as Corey described herself. She told people her story of God's forgiveness of sins and of the people, uh, people's need for people to forgive those who had harmed them. Corey herself was put to the test in 1947 while speaking in a Munich church. At the close of the service, a balding man in a gray overcoat stepped forward to greet her. Corey froze. She knew this man well. He'd been one of the most vicious guards at Ravensbrück, one who had mocked the women prisoners as they showered. It came back with a rush, she wrote. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. And now he was pushing his hand out to shake hers and saying, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. 
will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive that Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? The soldier stood there expectantly, waiting for Corey to shake his hand. She wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. Standing there before the former SS man, Corey remembered that forgiveness is an act of the will, not an emotion. Jesus, help me, she prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. Corey thrust out her hand, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. Whew. I forgive you, my brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps the greatest way to get rid of your anger is to practice forgiveness, to ask God to give you a forgiving spirit, to ask God to reveal the anger in your heart that you've been holding, to ask God to reveal to you the people who you are angry with and ask him to give you grace to forgive them. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. It's absolutely true. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that we have now to be back in church, something that we may have taken for granted over these last eight weeks and something that is still denied to many of our brothers and sisters here in our country. But Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of being here. And I thank you for those who took advantage of that and are here today. Lord, it's easy to get angry, but it's very difficult to deal with that anger. God, would you give us the courage and the will to deal with the anger, to look at it, to analyze it, to pray about it, and yes, to forgive. God, give us clean hearts, give us clean hands, give us pure minds. With every head bowed and every eye closed, those of you who are watching us, those of you who are here, I know we can't, there's certain things we can't do right now, but I want you to know this, we are here for you. I'm here to pray with you, to talk with you. If you need to, if, if there's something you're dealing with, something you're struggling with, forgiveness of another, please message me, talk with me. I'll be more than happy to, to kind of help you walk through the process because I know the freedom that it can give when you let it go. And folks, we need to let it go. Lord, help us to get to that point. We're willing to let it go. In your name we pray, amen.